Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Harriet Hodgson. She's been on our show before. She is one of our authors, and she's fabulous. Um, Harriet Hodgson is the author of 27 books and hundreds of Internet and print articles. She is a brief parent and a GRG, which stands for Grandparent Raising Grandchildren. Her recent writing focuses on grief markers, one year, 18 months, and two-year anniversaries of loss. These markers and many others trigger fresh grief, and Harriet will give us suggestions for coping with them. Welcome to the show, Harriet. Thank you so much. Hi, Harriet. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you. You were telling us that uh, Thanksgiving Day brings up some um, grief markers for you, right? Thanksgiving Day is a challenge for me because our deceased daughter was born on that day. Wow. And, uh, you know, not only was it an exciting time to welcome our first child, but um, the large hospital that I was in uh, was going all out for the new mothers. And here I was in labor, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I could smell the turkey and the dressing and the spices and the pumpkin pie, and I wanted it all so badly, but I was supposed to push. And so uh, it was, uh, you know, I still kind of uh, feel cheated about not having that Thanksgiving dinner. Uh-huh. And we often celebrated our daughter's birthday on Thanksgiving. It was, uh, you know, kind of a double celebration. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she was born on the 23rd of November, and oddly she died on the 23rd of February in 2007. Mm. Wow. wow. And, so and tell our audience a little bit about is, her. And... Is a, uh, no matter what month it is in, uh, is a grief marker for so me. So the 23rd is, yeah. yeah. Talk about your daughter and, and your losses a little bit and raising your grandkids because our audience, we've talked to, to you about it on another show, but um, our audience hasn't heard about it on this one. Uh, our daughter was killed um, on a snowy night in February of 2007, so that was on a Friday, and on Sunday my father-in-law died. Wow. He died in a car crash. He died of uh, pneumonia. And several months after that, my brother uh, had a sudden heart attack. Uh, and although he had been treated for cancer, the heart attack is what killed him. He died. Wow. And then in the fall of 2007, uh, my former son-in-law was killed in another car crash. So we had um, four deaths in the span of uh, nine months. And his death immediately, I mean, whether the court approved it or not, we just knew in that instant that we were going to be replacement parents. and we that, were in That's unbelievable, Harriet. That's unbelievable that you had four family members die in, what, nine months? In nine months. And so it was, it's a challenge uh, and continues to be a challenge because um, not much has been written about multiple losses. Mm-hmm. And then you read about the stages of grief and you think, okay, you know, I don't seem to be fitting this. Well, I'm not fitting it before because I'm grieving for my loved ones in the order in which they died, and so I have to do grief work for each one. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and then how, the how old were your grandchildren? You had them to take care of as well as your own grief. I did, and so they moved in with us. We we took them home from the emergency room, and we said, "Get a few things, and you are coming to live with us." And they were fifteen and a half, 
and they are 17 and a half now. So they're twins. Yeah, fraternal twins. And are they boys or girls? One boy and one girl, and uh, what's interesting and difficult is that while I was grieving for four loved ones, I still had to provide a loving and protective home for my grandchildren, and I had to give them humor and hope whenever I could. Mm-hmm. So I will be honest and say I, I think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me, Harriet. It sounds unbelievably difficult, and I think you offer so much hope to those out there that if you could do this, and if you could survive this and go on to thrive, that anyone out there listening is going to be able to do it. Well, I think we, when when pushed <laughs> and nudged along by life, I think we can all do things that perhaps we didn't think we could do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, each loss creates secondary losses, and, and we've had a lot of them, and secondary problems. For example, mm-hmm. we had no idea of our daughter's financial situation, so it took us a year to track down her assets. Uh, it took mm-hmm. months to get to court and be appointed as their legal guardians and financial conservators. Now, did that all work for you? Did you have any family issues around that? No, we didn't. Uh, other family members were notified, do they want custody of the children, and, and nobody made a peep. Uh-huh. Um, we just went to court, and it, and it was done. And uh, I notice now the kids say things like, our house. So there's, there's some ownership there, our mm-hmm. house. And are they seniors in high school now? They are seniors. We're on the college search. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and so that brings up other losses. I know that I read some in, in something that my mother sent me that you said when the children, when the, teenage, the twins became members of the National Honor Society, it brought up a loss because their parents weren't there to enjoy that and see that. It was tremendous grief. And they, um, you know, all the new members processed down the aisle. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose it here mm-hmm. because, you know, my daughter wasn't there. Right there to see that, and it was in great respect the fruits of her labors. And then I thought, oh, what about all the other things that she's not going to see? So um, I I didn't lose it at the ceremony, but I sure cried when I got home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering when those guys go off to college, are they going to are they going to go away from home? Are they applying? Well, we we don't really quite know where they're going, and their college search has been private. They do not want us along. Um, mm-hmm. They're doing it completely on their own. Um, mm. My granddaughter has applied to four colleges, uh, received uh, acceptances from three, and offers wow. of scholarships. Uh, my grandson has applied to one, and I've encouraged him to apply to one more for backup. Mm-hmm. But they are honor students. My grandson is straight A student, and my granddaughter got one B. Boy, that that's amazing with everything that they've been through. Mm-hmm. It really is, and I, I think it speaks to you also as as realizing that you need to grieve, but you also needed to hold hope for them. Yeah, well, and sometimes, you know, even days when I'm tired, for example, because after all, I am a grandmother and senior citizen, um, I think, oh, my gosh, I I have got to infuse this day with some kind of hope and laughter whenever I can. No, it hasn't, it hasn't been that long. It's no. only two years. Wow. And you were doing all this writing before. You were, you, you were an author before all this happened, right? Yes, and I was writing about issues like I was my mother's caregiver for nine years, so 
So I, I did a book uh, on Alzheimer's, another mm-hmm. book on caregiving, uh, you know, and everything I write uh, comes from my life. Mm-hmm. I never dreamed that I would be writing so much about loss and grief. Um, and someone in the in the book industry said to me, well, you are now a grief expert. Well, to be honest, that's something I never wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Has, has it turned you in a different direction in your writing? I know it's towards grief and loss, but is, is there any more, any other changes made towards your writing? Has it compelled you to want to write more or less or... Oh, I'm I'm writing uh, a gr- great deal more. Um, a week after my daughter died, uh, I did what was natural for me, and that is to come down to our home office, sit down at the computer, and start writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kept doing it for a year, and it was amazing to me what that did for me. First of all, it gave some structure to my days, if nothing else. I was going to write a sentence or two about what I was feeling. And then I got to thinking, well, gee, maybe my writing could help other people. So I began adding documentation and research. Well, in order to do that, I had to really focus my thoughts and think logically. And then I began to find hope in that for myself. And I thought, well, I may be reeling from grief, but my brain is still (laughs) working and 207 is a blur in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so when I finished that year, and that writing became a book called Writing to Recover, uh, The Journey from Loss and Grief to a New Life, I realized, let's say maybe a half a year after its publication, there were a couple of errors, and I had to go back to that book to remember my own life. Mm-hmm. Because of, of just now, Harriet, when you went back to the book, was it comforting or was it distressing? No, I, I actually <laughs> I was kind of amazed, mm-hmm. and I did say to a friend of mine in town who who was a physician, and uh, many people in town called and and do all the things that kind people do, and. Uh, when we were on the phone, I started crying, and then I talked about my writing, and I said, people are going to think I am unstable. <laughs> and he said, oh, they don't know you, and you are you know, one of the stablest people I know. And I looked for that when I be- went back and read Writing to Recover, and I thought, yeah, this is a book from a grieving person, and this is a book from a stable person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He can be stable and grieving, yeah. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Well, when we went to break, um, I was uh, we were talking about infusing hope and humor. How do you do that? You know, when you get up in the morning, how did well, you get I, yourself to do it? I mean, funny stuff is happen- happening all the time, and and you may not be as aware of it when you're grieving. But last night, as my granddaughter was getting ready to go to bed, I said, "So, ask me what I did with my day." So she goes, "Grandma, what did you do with your day?" <laughs> And I said, oh, well, you know, I I went to the grocery store and I wrote some articles and, you know, and I uh, baked biscotti for the church rummage sale. I did laundry and I turned Grandpa's underwear green. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, you turned his underwear green? And I said, well, it it wasn't easy, but, you know, we had a a set of new green sheets and I didn't think that they would bleed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of like camouflage 
underwear. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So finding that humor and, and in it. Yeah, there is a lot of humor in life. There's a lot of humor in grief. I, You know, when we were deeply grieving, there were things that would come up that would be pretty funny that wouldn't seem funny to anybody else. That's true. And actually, some people may be afraid to laugh when that's exactly what they need to do. Yeah. Right. Well, humor, talk- humor is a, an emotion, and it's another way to release our emotions. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to breathe when you laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about these grief markers and uh, that you've uh, kind of come up to think about the markers in life, the forgotten markers. Talk a little bit about that. Well, um, I don't know whether forgotten is quite the right word, but we all have markers, and and I want to say to the listeners that these are not the same as the stages of grief. The Mm -hmm. the markers are related to grief, uh, but they are not the stages of grief. And some of the biggest markers, of course, the biggest one, I think, is the first anniversary of loss. Mm-hmm. And then you have the year and a half, and you kind of think, okay, you know, I'm, I seem to be making it. Well, uh, let me say one thing. You start out with, I've survived for one hour. Exactly. And two hours, and mm-hmm. one day, mm-hmm. and two weeks. I mean, yeah. the, you know, I remember counting those, and hours. Yeah. You know. Well, and and the other thing is that uh, when you when you move along this grief journey and you come to various anniversaries like the 18th month one, and you think by the time you get to the two year one, which is uh, what I am about to experience, you think, well, I'm I'm pretty good, but you are good enough to see perhaps where you did well, where you did not what you did not so well and some of the challenges that you still have to face. Mm-hmm. And life can surprise you. Uh, three weeks ago, our deceased daughter's house flooded, uh, and we haven't been able to sell it. So the house that she loved so much is now a burden to us. Sitting on the market, we have to heat it, you know, pay for utilities, pay for snow shoveling, pay for plowing. And when it flooded, I really sobbed. You would have thought... I had heard of a fifth loss in the family. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just so painful, and I got to thinking, you know, I'm expecting locusts at any minute here, you know. Just <laughs> I can imagine. I, I'm just thinking of myself saying, oh, no, it, it's too much. I can't stand it. It's I mean, too much. Exactly. Too much. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and you said, when you, are you, oh, is this, this is a story that when you go in, and you uh, you take out the you take out the floor right that's been damaged. But, yeah, there, it, our daughter we, she had started to finish the lower level, and we carried out her wishes. So we we have a, an extra bedroom, an office, a media room, and a bathroom. And she put laminate flooring down, mm-hmm. and so the flooring buckled, and all the baseboards were ruined, and there were two inches of water. It began wicking up the walls. And the insurance adjuster came out and said, don't even try and fix any of it. Here's the check, the maximum that we can give you, just repair it. So we went to check on the repairs, and I walked in, and walking from room to room, and there on the floor was a very large red heart, uh, Valentine. And, and I said to my husband, you know, Helen, our, our daughter probably painted that. <laughs> and I asked the children about it, and they said no that the man that she had planned to marry painted that. And wow. his, his valentine to her. 
and they had agreed that they were not going to give each other gifts on Valentine's Day because they didn't love each other just on that day. They loved each other every day. So he, they were coating the uh, walls with rubberized red paint, and he took the brush and, and put the valentine there. And so I saw that painted heart, and I thought of the love they shared. And he's lost a great deal in life. He's lost a future and a family in some respects that we he thought he would have. But mm-hmm. we have stayed in touch with him. And uh, I told him about the painted heart. And he sent me an email and said that uh, he was laughing and crying at the same time. Wow. wow. That's wonderful. And that and that story, by the way, is on our website, right? Yes, it is. In yes, the Open to Hope website, and you can read that and pass it on to other people. You know, it, I think those signs and messages that we get, we've got to accept them. Absolutely. I've got, I've got another one that I just heard, and I'll be very brief. Um, a family that I've known for years and I've worked with, they were doing a renovation in their bathroom, and their father had died. And they took the ceiling out, and in it, he, the father had stored all sorts of money, and that money paid for the renovation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. He had been dead for, you know, eight years. Yeah, oh, my so, goodness. So uh, it was an amazing story. So, yes, like my mom said, we need to pay attention to all those signs and all those wonderful things that happen. And, all and those accept ways we continue love on. Well, and also, you know, I mean, I, I feel that uh, the painted heart is, is a, a grief marker in many respects mm-hmm. because it symbolized a love uh, that two people shared um, mm-hmm. and all the fun that they had together. And uh, I did say to her intended, I said, you know, with all of these deaths and all of this sorrow, you're going to be sorry you ever met us. And he said, it's one of the greatest blessings of my life. Mm. Uh, how wonderful. So, so even though he didn't have your daughter in his life for that many years, the time that he had was well worth it, it sounds like. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you were talking about you had to shovel around your daughter's house and things like that. What about the the seasons? I know you said something about your brother as a marker. Well, I you know, the the problem with multiple losses is that you don't, at least in my experience, you don't get enough time to grieve for each of them. So I grieved most for my daughter, of course, um, and my father-in-law because they died, you know, on the same weekend. I didn't have that much time to grieve for my brother because I was so busy with my grandchildren. Hmm. And last summer, I suddenly realized I was feeling very melancholy. And uh, I grew up in Great Neck, Long Island, and we had a sailboat in Port Washington. And my brother and I used to always go out on the boat. And, and I was always the crew. I was the, the skinny teenager hauling the sailing basket and then the anchor you know, and all <laughs> of that. And I suddenly remembered our sailing trips that we had enjoyed together. And I really missed him. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't prepared for that. I was just prepared for, you know, summer is here again and warm weather and sunshine I wasn't prepared to have that uh, return of grief. Mm-hmm. And how did you deal with it? Do you remember? I just remembered the happy times and funny times of sailing. I know one time my brother tried to impress his girlfriend, and we launched the boat. And these were the days of wooden boats, and he didn't do a good job of caulking, and he got in it, and it sank <laughs> right at the dock. It just <laughs> went down inch by inch. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I want to ask Harriet how we get a hold of her books, and uh, and you're on, you've got a website. 
I have a website, yes, uh, and it's uh, Harriet, H-A-R-R-I-E-T, H-O-D-G-S-O-N dot com, and it tells about my books there, and you can find my latest book, Writing to Recover, on Amazon or from the Centering Corporation. And another book that may be helpful is called Smiling Through Your Tears, Anticipating Grief. Uh, and Lois Cron, the chair of psychiatry at Mayo Scottsdale, is my co-author. Mm-hmm. Oh, great! And also, if you happen to, if you're taking care of someone who has Alzheimer's, uh, that would be an awfully good book too. Yeah, and I've also got uh, another one called Alzheimer's: Finding the Words, mm. uh, and the other one, uh, the Alzheimer's Caregiver. Mm-hmm. I love it, Harriet. I'm definitely going to visit those books because my mother-in-law is in the late stages of Alzheimer's. Mm. So I appreciate you bringing awareness and being there for everybody out there that is dealing with Alzheimer's and does feel alone out there. Yeah, the Alzheimer's uh, Finding the Words is a communication book, and that brings me to Thanksgiving because the last Thanksgiving my mother had with us, she had no idea who she was eating dinner with. Mm -hmm. She knew she was eating Thanksgiving dinner, but she didn't know it was with her family. She didn't know... Uh, who my daughters were. Uh, My elder daughter was alive at the time. And I just could have sat down and sobbed at that meal, and I cooked it. Mm -hmm. And then I got to thinking, well, in many respects, she's here because there's a loving family sitting around her, and her possessions are on the table. I put her cut-glass water bottle on the table that she loves so much and various other serving dishes and so she was represented at that table, even though she never said a word. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm, uh, when you're saying that, I'm thinking that our deceased family members could be uh, represented at the table, too. We were talking uh, with Linda Goldman uh, last week on the show, and she was talking about setting up a memory table mm-hmm. where you could just have a table uh, sitting there with people to put m- memory things of a loved one. The other thing that's interesting is my elder daughter um, used to make this orange rind candy every Christmas. Uh, Nana had made it, and she learned to like it from her grandmother, uh, not my mother, on my husband's side, and she made it. And now she's gone, and, you know, uh, last week my granddaughter said to me, can we make orange rind candy? Mm. And that tells me that she had happy memories of doing that with her mother, and the candy was good because she dipped it. Uh, it's dipped in chocolate, mm. and so that's something kids like to do. You can, you know, cut up cut up the rind in little pieces and dip. Well, it. and what a wonderful thing to do, Harriet, because it reminds us of the people that we love that have died, but it doesn't put pressure on us to talk about it. Exactly, and and an article about that and the recipe is on the Open to Hope Foundation website. Oh, great. Well, Harriet, tell me what is the most difficult thing for you going into Thanksgiving with this, and and how are the kids involved, and you know what will be, what are you going to be doing, and and have you made any changes due well, to the, we, all the losses? Well, right after our daughter died, the, the first Thanksgiving, um, the family rallied and they said we're we're going to change things, and we had Thanksgiving at my niece's home. And they live on a on a little hobby farm outside of Minneapolis, and there were chickens and goats that followed you around and ducks. So it was very different, and everybody knew that my husband and I were just prostrate with grief. 
but the differentness and their love got us through. Mm-hmm. Now, this year, my brother and sister-in-law have, have downsized, and they are serving Thanksgiving dinner. There will be 22 of us crammed <laughs> into a much smaller uh, town home, mm-hmm. but we will all be there, and that's the most important thing. And I think it is so interesting that right after their dad died and, and my twin grandchildren became orphans, as we were leaving the hospital, I heard them counting, and they were counting all the relatives. Wow. They were counting their support team. Mm-hmm. And their support team will be there at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I was going to say there's something comforting for me to hear that 22 people will be in a small space. True. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Now, will you do anything special to um, remember? We all sit around, hold hands, and say, God bless us, everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like do, you have any, do you have any special um, ceremonies that you do for these markers, or or do they just catch up to you, or do, do you have some recognition? Are you looking for the two-year anniversary, you know, that well, kind of thing? Well, we've done several things. On the first anniversary of my son-in-law, former son-in-law's death, uh, I don- we donated money to a local food bank. Um, for the second anniversary of our daughter's death, we commissioned a song in her memory, and mm. the uh, premiere performance was three weeks ago. Mm, I love that. And we, just, we just did a show about this with uh, Anna Huckabee Tall, who does commissioned songs. Fabulous idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and you don't, you don't have to commission. I mean, you could just get the family together and play some of their favorite music or sing some of their mm-hmm. favorite songs. But it, it was a very moving experience and uh, a, a beautiful piece called We Remember Them. Mm-hmm. And it's a song that choirs of all faiths all across the nation could sing. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a commission song, so if somebody wanted to get it from you, they could? or Well, they can get it. Uh, at, I think it's called Seafarer Press, and it, it isn't quite out yet. It's only out in uh, computer form. Mm-hmm. It will be off the press, I think, in January, and mm-hmm. it's by a St. Paul, Minnesota composer called Elizabeth Alexander. Mm-hmm. And the poem, the, the, the lyrics, are a poem by a Rabbi uh, Gittelson, who turns out to be a very famous rabbi. And uh, it tracks the seasons and how we remember them, you know, through the, through the rustling leaves of fall. And, and oh, sounds wonderful. We'll have to get a copy and play it on the show next time we have you on. Yeah, well, it, it is a beautiful song, and I hope that it travels from choir to choir. That's wonderful. And my course, the, my biggest remor- memorial is raising my grandchildren, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that is it every day, mm-hmm. and uh, and instilling them, um, carrying through our daughter's wishes. She she started out with with very good training, and they they do their own laundry and. I'm trying to get them to help a little bit more. I'm watching them now morph into adults, which is amazing, and into drivers and into kids who are budgeting for college. So um, it is very satisfying, but that is my living memorial every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was wondering, uh, I would guess one of the forgotten markers that's going to come up for you uh, is again as once before in your life, you have an empty nester. Exactly. And, boy, is it going to be painful. 
going to be very painful. And I also realized that I am out of step with my generation, very out of step. Despite the fact that millions of grandparents are raising grandchildren, there aren't many in my area. Mm-hmm. And I met a friend recently, and I said, you know, gee, what, what's going on in your life? And she said, oh, I just got back from Paris. And she said, what's going on in your life? And I said, I just got back from the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell us about your husband. My husband is a retired Mayo Clinic physician. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And what's his name? Pardon me? What's his name? Oh, it's, it's C. Period John Hodgson. Mm-hmm. He's a specialist in aerospace medicine and preventive medicine. Wow. And uh, also in public health. And so really when you, we think it through, uh, I'm a former teacher, and he is a retired physician but still very active in the community and volunteering with the public health. And we are, you know, you, you could hardly find two better people to be raising grandchildren because I never thought I would be using child development training again. But right. And I'm a very calm grandmother. You know, we don't get excited. <laughs> We've been through the fire. We know when to get excited and when not to. And you're, and you're both healthy, I assume. We are, although I just found out I have high blood pressure. But I really, my doctor said, gee, what happened? I said, I said, I think the flooded basement pushed me over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try some, try some acupuncture and yoga. Well, I'm back walking, and, and it's yep. being treated. You know, I, I'm sure it's hard to get all these things in, raising two kids. Mm-hmm. It is. And I was going to say, Harriet, you've had four losses, and you're raising two teens. It's no wonder you have high blood pressure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and all the things that, you know, that go on. But Give us your website again and talk to us a little bit about your book, Writing to Recover. Okay. The, the site is t Hodgson, H-O-D-G-S-O-N.com. And Harriet and Hodgson are a compound word. And uh, has a list of my books there. Uh, Writing to Recover is on Amazon, or you can get it from Centering Corporation. Um, There's also a a journal that I personally love that has 100 writing prompts uh, in it. If you think you can't write, why uh, some of those prompts should get you going. Yeah, I really like those writing prompts. I talked to you about this show before, and, and kind of little questions that you can you can answer. They're kind of they're very neat, and fill in there. So if you don't think you're a writer, you are. We all are, right, Harriet? If we can write, we can write. Exactly. Yeah. And and the thing about the writing and about writing to recover is it works with many things, not just um, the the grief associated with death, but maybe the grief of a divorce, or the grief of a child born with chronic uh, heart. Uh, defect or things of that sort. So mm-hmm. um, I hope people will uh, turn to it, and uh, I'm hoping it helps them. Well, uh, when we went to break, we were talking about um, uh, some ideas for how to cope. But Heidi, did you have some kind of a comment you wanted to make first? Oh, well, you know, Harriet's written a lot of stuff, and she's, as you know, she referred to the finding the heart underneath the floor in her daughter's house, and she wrote something about it that I absolutely loved, and I wrote it down. And it's on our website, right? Yes, about seeing that heart, and I think it's so true about loss in general. And basically what it says is, the heart will always be visible in my mind. It is a grief marker, a reminder of sorrow, and more importantly, love and happiness. The heart is painted on my heart and will be there as long as I live. Mm. 
I love that, Harriet. Thank Beautiful. You. Thank you. Well, we were going to talk a little bit. You were going to give us some advice about what people can do about the how they can cope with their forgotten markers. Well, I think one of the things that helps the most is uh, getting out of yourself and go do something for someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets you out of the house. <laughs> it maybe gets you into a social setting that when you've been isolated and alone. So even if you did what we did, donate uh, food to a shelter, um, there you can donate to a local choir. High school music groups are always looking for money. They're, they're barely uh, getting along. You can donate to them. So there are things you can do. Um, we have a federal medical center, a, a prison in my hometown of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, one of the things I'm going to do is uh, collect magazines and take them out there. So that there are many things that you can do, and you feel better when you have done them. Uh, another thing that, of course, I I'm already talked about writing, so that's probably at the top of my list, uh, writing to recover. Mm-hmm. But now I must say, and it perhaps sounds harsh, but I avoid toxic people. Mm-hmm. And there are some people in my circle of friends, uh, for them the glass is always half empty. It's never full. And I'm sorry for these people, and I wish I could help them, but I can't help them. They are the ones who have to help themselves, and I have found that they can drag you down. So I avoid these people, and um, I have a very close circle of friends that are, um, you know, have steel support Mm -hmm. they have given me these past two years. Mm-hmm. So find those people who will lift your spirits and, exactly. and not pull you down and, and will help you out. Well, it sounds like uh, C. John uh, is the same kind of person, right? I would think so. You're just an, an amazing person, and, and a couple together um, is, has got to be an amazing thing for the things that you're doing, isn't it, Heidi? Yes, and such a great example to the twins that you're raising, and you've done such a great job with them. I mean, showing them compassion and giving back and all the messages you're giving them about hope and healing after loss, very important. I think, and thank you for that, I think they will not understand it until perhaps they are in their early 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's okay. And they might not until they have kids of their own. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and that's okay too. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about with Linda Goldman last week was uh, she calls it regrieving, mm-hmm. that you regrieve through life, through different things that happen, and and it's not a bad thing because you want to remember and you just put things in different perspectives. So I'm sure, sure for them, you know, for them at that age, wow, uh, they just have to get through, exactly. and they've got a lot well, of work and, that they have and, to do. And Harriet, that's one of the things I love about you. You don't have high expectations that. The twins, that teenagers should be coming to you and being grateful and thanking you at every step of the way. You realize that they're teenagers and they're doing what teenagers do, and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think of all the things that they have given to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we get a kick out of it, and, and gymnastics has started, so we'll be at the meets, you know, <laughs> cheering and. Uh, right, they force you to get up early in the morning and to keep on going. Yeah, well, I, I often write very early in the morning, long before they are up. Mm. Uh, but Well, have you got a last piece of advice for our audience out there? I think you never know what people are going through, and you may see someone in the store who looks grumpy and sad, 
and may come to the wrong conclusion, and, and maybe they are grieving, and maybe they are feeling anticipatory grief. And I just think we need to be a lot kinder and gentler to one another. Uh, that's a wonderful thought to close the show on. Well, Harriet, thank you so much for being on the show today. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.